if you could help me by taking the Bible out of the pew or looking it up on your phone, as long as you promise you're looking at the Bible, and opening up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as that will be the text that I preach on today. It was in the lectionary for last week. And so Jesus, when he tells the parable of the sower, his disciples don't understand, and they, they ask him, Why did, what does this parable mean? And he says, well, the seed is the word of God, and as for that, the, that in the good soil, they are those who, upon hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. And so, let's do likewise in... Staying in the word. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 goes something like this. Divisions in the church. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or even I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, but lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, a few years ago, when I was still in undergrad, I went with my wife, Brigida, to her childhood church. And there was a speaker there who was an uh, Anglican priest from Liverpool, England. And he was talking about the first missionary that their uh, parish sent to Angola in 1910. And it was a really wacky story, and so I had to tell it to you guys. Uh, it was about a 20th century layman from the Anglican Church. His name was Archibald Patterson. So Archie was called and supported by his parish there in Liverpool to preach the gospel in what was then Portuguese Angola in Africa in 1910. So when, when he got there... He established the North Angola Mission. He built churches, he built schools, he taught locals trades, he brought literacy to the region, all sorts of good things. He was also, he was training the teachers to go into those schools. He was training pastors to preach the gospel in the new churches. He baptized thousands of people with his own hand. It was awesome. But then it came time for World War II, 
And so he said, well, he felt that he should return to England to be with her during their darkest hour. When the war was finished, by that time, he had found a wife, and they said, hey, despite the trauma these past few years, let's go back to Angola and continue our mission. And that's where they found something interesting. The first thing he noticed were the eight and a half by 11 headshots of himself with a little holy glow around his head that were hanging in each school, that were hanging in each home that he visited, that were hanging in the churches. And then he noticed that people were following him in crowds to try and touch him, try and get some of that holy energy to rub off on them. And then he found out that there were these big councils that were arguing with each other. The church was splitting into factions. They were arguing over the pure doctrine and speeches of the Honorable Archibald Patterson before he left Angola. What would he agree with? And they were fighting over interpreting his old writings and sermons he'd left behind. Whoops. Not usually what missionaries are seeking out to do. So as pressures mounted and the spirit of independence is sweeping through Angola, Archie gets expelled with his wife back to England, leaving behind this Anglican church body of over 60,000 people and 300 churches, not to mention the schools, the hospitals, all the other operations that he brought into existence. But they had to leave knowing that the church they started was not united. It had fractured into three different denominations which were fighting over words that he had said. You know, is the Archibald Patterson guy, is this our true leader? Maybe I'm anti-Archibald Patterson? Who knows? And then things started to get physical when these denominations started to pair with military organizations to fight for independence of Angola from Portugal and then fight a civil war that would last 27 years. Clearly, there is an issue here. I don't know if it's because it wasn't an LCMS mission or maybe he forgot to uh, preach the uniting doctrine of baptism in his sermons, or maybe it's simply human nature to break apart, divide, let our lesser desires for power reign. Maybe it's ignoring God's unifying word, distorting his word for our own purposes, instead of gladly hearing and learning it and allowing it to shape our Christian lives. Maybe it's D, all of the above, but who am I to know? Archibald Patterson's story was messed up. It reminds me of something that Paul was facing in Corinth from the letter I just read to you of a church body that was dividing itself over personalities, giving into its desires, and not enjoying God's unifying word. At the time of this letter, Corinth's population interesting enough, was about the size of Independence, Missouri, like 100,000 people. Probably a little different from Independence, Missouri, but you get what I mean. There were 
people that were living there were freed slaves. They were freed prisoners. They were retired veterans. You see, Corinth had been destroyed by Alexander the Great, and it was of the interest to repopulate it with people, no matter who they were. And so what this leads to is a reputation. A comic poet named Aristophanes, he wrote a play about Corinth in which he coins a new word. He turns Corinth into a verb, to Corinth, to behave like a Corinthian. What does that mean? Well, it meant to be a fornicator. People in Corinth were doing whatever they pleased. You see, it was very multicultural, people from everywhere. There's new people moving there every day. And what this kind of led to was a superstitious people. People had so many anxieties that they started to sprout up religions and bring in new ones to make an idol for each of a human anxiety. But even religions weren't enough. You see... There was this influence of a people called the Sophists or the Sophists, which much of Paul's letters are actually trying to squash or defend against in the, in the least. Sophists were people that would come into town, show off their stylish, eloquent ways of speak, talking and speaking, and try to recruit followers to be their students, to give them housing to give them food to feed them, give them money. You see, everyone wanted their kid to have the best teacher because they wanted their kid to be the best politician, to be a lawyer, to be a businessman. And the sophists guaranteed that they could make this so. And I find it kind of funny that 500 years before this, Socrates, the teacher of Plato, he actually warned the people of Greece, hey, this Something bad could happen with this. These sophists, they turn bad arguments into the winning argument. They, they're doing it for money. You know, you got to stop them. But they didn't listen. Instead, they killed them. And now here is Paul. It's his turn to try and dissuade the people from latching onto personalities. Paul was wearied by these philosophers. He called their words empty deceits. He believed that the sophists devoided the gospel of its power, the very thing that people were flocking to, the sophists. So we've all been told some advice at a, at a certain point that we thought was pretty useless, some useless philosophy like, just be yourself. Uh, I cringe when someone tells me to just be myself, because just being myself isn't always the greatest thing to be. We all know that. Uh, but Paul, he had planted the Corinthian church. He had baptized some of these people. He preached the gospel faithfully for a year and a half, and now it was being torn apart. And I looked up this word for, you know, tearing apart, and supposedly it was like tearing clothes, so pretty violent. He identifies four of these factions. The first one being those who follow Paul. Paul right? The founder, the planter, the church planter, beloved church planter, with them for a year and a half. He had simple, unpretentious preaching, and he got upset if you focused on him and not the gospel. And then you had Apollos, the followers of Apollos. Kind of a mysterious guy, huh? 
He supposedly had this cult of personality, as Paul writes to us, but it's not like he enjoyed it either, but there's nothing that could stop it, right? Supposedly, he had this great, eloquent sermon uh, ability, just full of masterful rhetoric. People showed up, flocked. When they heard it was Apollos' turn to preach, people were there. And this was exactly what the culture liked at the time, following certain individuals. He and Paul, they even, they worked together fine. There was no beef between them. He actually watered what Paul had planted, right? And then third, we have Cephas. Interesting that he calls him Cephas. We know him as Peter, so St. Peter. He was most likely traveling with his wife, so when someone from the congregation would host them, they'd say, wow, you know, what a wonderful couple. I, I like those two. Uh, And maybe there was a small amount of Jewish converts to Christianity or God-fearing Gentiles that really liked uh, Peter's more uh, Judeo-centric message. And finally, pretty confusing one, the party of Christ. It's a hard one to interpret. I like to think that it's people so disaffected by this breaking up into groups and that they said... You know, I've had it with you guys breaking up into groups. I'm going to break off into my own group because I'm so upset with how you break up into groups. Maybe it looks like people that you might know that say, you know what? I really like what Jesus has to say, but church? Come on. Um, You know, I I saw all of Jesus' seminars when he was here, but... The apostles? Come on. Maybe it was Gnostics, people that claim to have special secret knowledge of Jesus. But no matter what party you're in, you're in trouble with Paul. He did, he did not like it. In his eyes, no good. This was not how the Church of Christ was to be living. I mean, they were allowing for the trends of the times to debate, to break up into groups, to pick who their favorite speaker was, to latch on to a, 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 um, a personality instead of the gospel. And so Paul has to come in with the paddle of the law and hit him hard. Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I mean, no. Come on. Unity is super important for Paul in this scuffle he has here. Why are we talking about all of these various names and what they stand for if these are not the name that we were baptized into? Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why are we valuing a teacher over another teacher and basing our lives around what the teaching is of the teacher if the teacher didn't die on the cross for my sins? I mean, come on. From the beginning, in Corinth, Paul's message, very simple. Christ died for your sins. He wasn't particularly whimsical about it or eloquent in his sermons. He didn't have awesome PowerPoints or videos like Apollos. But, you know, in fact, he goes and speaks in front of all these great philosophers in Athens, and they kind of laugh him off the stage. It's kind of hard to read in Acts. The people just simply didn't get it. 
And that's the cornerstone of the cross. If one is relying on the eloquence of one's words to affect change in the hearts of hearers, he's emptying the cross, Christ's death, of its very power. If one tries to reason his way to salvation through philosophy, you're only going to get folly. Instead, Paul insists we rely and trust on the saving power of the cross instead. His mission was to preach the gospel to all different kinds of people in order to give them hope for a life to come, not to put on a flashy show, so to speak. The way in which all these people are linked, made one, you and I, is not through who they felt close to in the intimacy of the baptismal ritual or who gives their favorite sermons, but instead the unifying force of being baptized into the death and then resurrection of Jesus Christ by that river which flows out of his empty tomb. Today we see similar things at work. Like never before, people in this world are very different from one another, and we all live near each other, even though we're so different. Faced with this stress, our communities break up and divide into these sub-communities, groups. We pick our favorite radio stations, right? I pick my favorite podcasts. And through doing so, I get the exact opinions I want to hear. And then I go on Facebook or the internet and I join specific groups to discuss with like-minded people what I want to talk about. In fact, I just joined a hot sauce Facebook group, so I've just had pure hot sauce, just imagery and thoughts going into my mind and coming out of my mouth for like the last month. We live in a beautiful time. We live in the modern world, the modern age, and this is a gift, but it can also be a curse. Because like Jesus said, and then later Lincoln, a house divided against itself simply cannot stand. So thank the Lord that here at Village, we have all sorts of people, right? I look around, and it's not just people who live nearby. I know that some of you live very, very close, but most of you live 15 minutes away. And, you know, if not, sometimes 30 minutes away, and you still come to village all this way every Sunday. Some of you are even citizens of other countries. We have, especially today, Chiefs fans that are have experienced great wins, right? And they're looking for another one today. And I had a lot of people shaking their heads in the first service. But I also acknowledge that we have Packer fans that are suffering in silence. So, how can we not be divided? Well, because here we are all one. I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you say the same thing. This is what Paul urges the church in Corinth and us today to do, to confess, to say the same thing. It's what we're going to do immediately after the sermon in the Nicene Creed. He calls us brothers and sisters because that's who we are in our baptisms now. 
Before, we were all different ages. We were different socioeconomic classes. We were different races, right? We are different fandoms. But now, we're numbered among the many brothers and sisters of the firstborn son, Jesus Christ, as Paul writes in Romans. A huge part of Christian maturity is pushing past those divisions, our, our favorite guys we like to listen to, and to just let the word of the Lord take root and be watered by the preaching of the gospel in Christ's church. This is where the mending happens that Paul writes about in that letter I read to you. The mending, it's like fixing a broken net or setting a broken bone. So there's an ouch, but it's mending. Allowing for the law to bash away the stony parts of your heart and then letting the gospel soothe those now open wounds. Rejoicing in what is familiar to you in the message and maybe listening closer to what's challenging. And praying for the person up here preaching that if this isn't your favorite one this week, please, Lord, let the Holy Spirit work in the hearts of those that are hearing that faith may be evoked. Luther writes, whenever God's word is taught, preached, heard, read, meditated upon, the person that day is made holy, not because of the work, but the word, which makes saints of us all. If our lives are to be God-pleasing, let us be guided by the word, which is preached in this church by a whole bunch of different people. He then teaches us in the explanation of the third commandment, which is remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. He explains it like this. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. So we are still in the season of epiphany, surprisingly. And so what does epiphany mean? It means to shine, to appear. The light of the world came into the world and appeared to us Gentiles. Us Gentiles who have been fighting each other in tribal wars for, you know, millennia. And he, Jesus puts a stop to it all of a sudden by making us one. We're one in mind and body by the sacrament of holy baptism. We're renewed each week as shown in Holy Communion. And we're poured into daily and then weekly through the right preaching of the word. In fact, we have the Saint Simeon in today's reading, who, upon holding his Savior in his hands, looks at him and says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, according to what you've promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And we do the same when we receive communion. We hold our Savior in our hands. We rejoice in hearing and learning God's word as it unites us as one, seemingly against all odds. Amen. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and of all things visible.